The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The brain is our personal tool to keep us at our best and realize self-esteem. The mind, body, and immune system work together to help us make the right choices and to reach our purpose and potential. Welcome to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Lindsay and her guests are the go-to experts when it comes to relationships, sexuality, parenting, and wellness. We're here to enlighten and inform you. Now, here is your host, Lindsay Levinson. Hi, I am your host, Lindsay Levinson, and we are at Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Welcome. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for continuing to follow us, and I hope that you will also follow us on Facebook at Illuminating Now, all one word. Twitter is at Illuminating Now, all one word. Qualityforlifecoaching.com. Those four words in the front are all one word, no spaces. And you can always email me at Lindsay, that, that's L-I-N-Z-I, 244 at net. Today's going to be a really exciting show. So I know I told you last week that this show would be near and dear to my heart. And the subject matter is for everyone. And I honestly believe and say this from the bottom of my heart that I believe a life can be changed today, maybe multiple lives. I think you can see a new perspective that might open doors you have no idea are available. So really do stay tuned. There will be a Lindsay Life secret at the end of the show. And due to how much we have to share with you, we've changed the segments up a bit and we're not going to do call-ins, but we will do emails as usual. I'm going to add our guest's email because he will invite you and you'll hear more about that to contact him. And so our guest is Trace Levinson. His email is T as in Trace. So T.Levinson at Yahoo.com. So as I said, our guest, it is Trace Levinson. That's my son. And he is really, I guess he'll speak for himself about being excited to be here, but I know he's passionate about his story and wanting to help and does invite you to contact him with that email. So I'm proud to introduce you, Trace, and I really welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for making the time to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be on. Yeah, so, you know, we've had press releases go out. There's been some big stories, um, but essentially it begins, at least on some of our publicity, around the fact that you went abroad and something happened, an epiphany, a life transformation something that changed you. And so why don't you begin with the story of what, what that was? Yeah, I'm super excited to get to this transformation. I think what I want to do first is really to go back in time for you guys and to share a little bit about my childhood, my upbringing, and I guess how I got to the mentality that I had going forward in my semester abroad. So growing up, I had tons of support. I mean, you mom and dad were amazing for me. And I grew up in a great school district. You know, I had all the opportunity presented to me. And I knew for myself that I was going to be something great. 
I had this idea since, you know, sixth grade, since school started, really, when I wanted to be successful. I had this image in my mind, and it really was poorly conceived at the time. I was a little kid, but I knew I was going to make something great of myself. And as a result, I've gotten A's my entire life in school, since sixth grade through present day. I've never gotten to B, and as the years went forward, you know, going through high school, I started to kill myself working, and in retrospect, it's really interesting to think about, because it really was not with a clear goal in mind. I knew I needed to get into a great university. That was the goal I set for myself. I didn't even really know what field I was going into. I didn't know what I was going to do with the degree, but I knew going to a prestigious university and, you know, having that on my record was going to be respectable in society. It was going to be great to be able to share. And I knew that that would bring me kind of the most prosperity I was going to have later on in life. And so thinking about colleges, I loved Cal. I mean, I explored the campus. I did love the community. But one of the biggest reasons I even chose UC Berkeley was for their business school. Haas was the third best undergraduate business school in the nation and the world at the time. And so one of the biggest reasons I even chose Cal was because of Haas. I remember how much research you did around Haas and how excited you were to associate and be able to have the opportunity to get in. I remember that well. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, I had this goal for myself and business was kind of this thing that was out there that I knew would bring success, you know, a lot of great fields and kind of lucrative industries come from being a business major. So decided on this and I got to Berkeley and all of the pressure I had, you know, leading up to this point through high school and the pressure I had set on myself to begin with just amplified by a hundred. I mean, (laughs) these kids are crazy in Berkeley. It was astounding to me to get there and there were just a million me's. These kids were, had this persistence and this drive to find success for themselves in all of the the fields they were pursuing, it was pretty overwhelming, to be honest. You know, I had already had this pressure. And so I actually remember, you know, getting to school and I had a few buddies of mine that were doing computer science as their major. And I started, I just (laughs) vividly remember spending hours on afternoons, just entire afternoons looking up postgraduate salaries by major after Berkeley. And I spent time looking, and computer science was the most lucrative field. It was the number one highest-paying average major, you know, graduating from Berkeley. And that sounded great to me. It was going to be something that was very prestigious, reputable, and it would be accepted, you know. And looking back on it, I didn't really even have a desire for the money. It was this reputation, right? It was this perception of success that I wanted to attain. And I went through freshman year. I actually had... I loved my first computer science class. It was great. So I was going through the motions, and I was actually okay for freshman year. I had a software engineering internship the summer after my freshman year of college, and it was just a mess for me. I remember. uh, That was so stressful. It was so stressful. I was working 60-hour weeks, really just consciously not enjoying what I was doing, and I recognized that. But at the same time, I kind of told myself, this is the path that I chose to take. I'm going to get through it, go through the motions, and, you know, I'll have money later on. That'll be great. And I'll have success and whatever that entails based on this ideology I had created in my head of what success was. And directly following that internship, 
you and I, Mom, went to Thailand for 16 days. 16 glorious days. 16 awesome days. And I remember, you know, I had done a lot of traveling in the past throughout high school. I had gone to see a lot of countries, but this culture shock that I had going to Thailand and seeing this humility and the simplicity of life and really a harmony among the community. There was no societal stigma to do one thing or another. There was no judgment in the fields that they were doing. They were just surviving and living so much more humbly than us. And this combined with, you know, the existential part of my life uh, the year after freshman year of college when I'm really trying to figure it all out and find happiness, know what life is meaning, it made me think a lot. And mom, I talked to you, I mean, every day for 16 days, we would have conversations. Yeah, Yeah, we did. This was basically the first kind of career-related wavering that I had in myself of realizing computer science was the wrong decision for me, that I had been going about it with the wrong motives from external factors pulling me to do it and really having no internal drive to pursue that field and nothing inside me that wanted to. And you asked me, Mom, while we were talking, what was my favorite subject in high school if I wasn't going to do computer science? What did I really want to do? And I told you economics. Economics was what I loved. And after a lot of talking, that was the first step that I really made. And I decided to switch to an economics major upon my return. Which I think is huge. I'm not even sure the listening audience understands how big that was for you. And I remember asking you, well, why wouldn't you do economics? I mean, if you love that and it's your passion, oh my gosh, have fun in college. Make those great years and it will lead you somewhere great. And I remember you saying, oh, well, that's a coward's way out. I mean, I have a, I have a really good brain and I can do comp sci and math and you know, you said people will just think, oh, it feels a little hard. I'm going to take a coward's way out and go for something easier, you know, and, and it was based on perception. And I, I remember you saying that and us still talking through, it really doesn't matter. Perception doesn't trump happiness. You've got you've to, you know, march yourself toward happiness. Do you, do you remember that? I feel like, you know, that was impacting. Yeah, it was huge. I think the talks that we had were everything to get me, you know, even to that next step, which really didn't solve it all for me, switching majors, but even that to think about, you know, the concept of switching majors to me was terrifying. I thought it was a huge cop-out, and in my head, I mean, it seems silly now to think about it, but I saw economics as a big step down, and I, you know, I could do computer science, I was capable of doing it, I was fine at it, and so to switch to something just because, you know, it felt right, but it really was going to be a step down in the factors that I had calculated in my mind of success for the future was big and I did stick with it you know I that was a huge thing and I needed your support to do that but I stuck with it and I got back to school so excited you know about this revelation I'd had and this new mentality going forward of being an economics major and having less stress and what's the first thing I do when I get back to Berkeley I start going over the best (laughs) most prestigious most successful opportunities of jobs in the economics major after Berkeley. I never never knew you did that. Yeah. That was the first thing I did when I got back (laughs) because now I didn't have a plan right now. I was just kind of going off in the weeds for myself. I had always had this set plan, whatever it may be, for the future. And this for me was the first step. So I needed that plan of, okay, 
this is what I'm going to do. And so I started thinking about the financial industry, and I really set that plan up for myself of, okay, you know, investment banking, wealth management, these are things that are still going to bring me a lot of money, and so that will make me happy, and that will make me successful, and people won't frown upon me leaving computer science if I have a good goal. And I really held that mentality. And so that's where I went going into my semester abroad was this perception of the semester being a vacation. I saw going to Chile as this five-month break that was going to be awesome and I would enjoy myself. And then I was going to go out back into the real world and I was going to get a real job. And in the finance world, I really had no idea about what any of the jobs even are. I mean, I didn't even look up job descriptions. This is just a very inchoate goal that I had created, but I was sticking to it. And I got to Chile and everything changed immediately. I mean, I started seeing drastic societal norm differences in a way that the Chilean culture really prioritized their lives, you know, the, considering their present, living in the present, and the focus on the future, and the motives that they set for themselves going forward into that next phase. And the biggest difference I guess I can conceive of that I remember was the family structure. I stayed with a host family for the first month, and it was awesome. I had this host mom. She was just the sweetest woman, this 60-year-old little Chilean woman. And Aww. she was an amazing cook, great food, loved nice. to talk just about life. You know, she was just a great resource. And I had a host brother. And my host brother, who was still living in the house, was 37 years old. <laughs> 30, 37 years old? 37 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was a hoot to me. I mean, I remember just thinking, well, you know, what happened to him? Why, this is so right. weird. Why is he still at home? He's 37. That's such a strange thing. And in the U.S., you know, if you're past 18, but certainly going into your mid to late 20s, you're out of the house. And if you're not out of the house, something must have happened, you know, some tragedy, or right. you just really need to get your life in order because that's not how it goes. But he was there, had a stable job, supported her for a lot of their income for the house. And in addition, two out of the three daughters that my host mom had, there were four kids in total, two of the three daughters were still in Santiago and visited the house at least once a week. It was crazy. And all these three kids in their 30s were so tight. They just, their family unit was so tight-knit. And they were so close. And it started really making me consider like the integration of family and how it really had no time scale, had no limit for what I perceived there. And another example that I want to share was I remember being, I had a research internship while I was abroad with a nonprofit and I was in a meeting with my boss and he was at a university about an hour away. So I went, you know, I had a Metro ride and I got there, and our meeting was only 45 minutes. And I was like, okay, we have all these things to do. I had my list of data points to share with them for what we're going to do over the next few months. Right. And we're about 20 minutes into the meeting, and we're getting a lot done. And he gets a phone call. And in the U.S., if you get a phone call during a meeting, yeah, especially if it's a personal call, I mean, it just seems in- inconceivable to me to answer it. You know, you put it off. You're going to take that call later. Right. But he stopped me in the middle, and I was literally in the middle of a sentence. So I was pretty put off by it in the moment and kind of disrespected. And he takes a call, and it was his daughter. 
And they had about a two-minute conversation, so not long, and our meeting didn't suffer from it. We got everything done that we wanted to in the meeting, but his daughter had had a performance that morning, a play, and he was her first call. Aww. And that stuck with me. I started thinking about my initial reaction, about how I was put off by the fact you'd answer a phone call, but then considering how amazing that was to integrate his parts of his life. He was present for her. You know, she called so excited. He congratulated her and then said, you know, sweetie, I'm in the middle of a business meeting. I got to go. But she felt validated. And there's this integration that I noticed in a lot of different contexts when I was in Chile of keeping all of the components of their lives at the front end of themselves all the time. They brought all of themselves to the table. And I started to compare my upbringing and my mentality coming from the U.S. and certainly just within myself of this compartmentalization of personality, kind of my life components, right? So I have my family life and my work life and my study life. And if I'm studying, if I'm in work mode and a family member called me, no way in hell I was going to answer that. I would put it off. And when I had a chunk of time to talk to my family, that would, what I, that would be what I did later. But that in itself started to resonate with me as hindering us from our full potential. I think there's a lot to be said for this lack of guilt and shame that my boss had to have that day in not answering his daughter's phone call right after her performance. And the fact that he was able to validate her and be so excited. And that really drives people to our true and full potential. We're able to lift this burden and this guilt of, you know, if we're waiting for a family call, we know what that subject's going to be and it stresses us out. We're not going to focus on work anyway because we didn't solve the problem. You know, when we could just answer the phone, quickly settle it, and move forward with the different parts of our lives. And so this kind of integral living that I noticed really brought me closer to the epiphanies that ensued for me following my time in Chile. So, I mean, you bringing up compartmentalization, that that's key. I mean, I honestly think it's come up on the last couple of shows because it is so prevalent in the U.S. We do. We have, you know, if you go to work, don't bring your personal things. That's not okay. If you go home, people aren't looking to hear your troubles about your work day every day, so don't do that. If you're out with friends for happy hour, don't talk about all your medical ailments, you know. Don't answer a phone call of, of your children in the middle of a meeting. Your children should know not to call, like, so I think you're right. There's such so many divides and so many labels, but I think it's really um, deep and insightful of you to know that when you still repress those pieces, like if you don't talk to your children or don't pick up a call or don't tell a story about a medical situation to a dear friend over a drink or a cup of coffee, you know, it does change what's going on in our heads. So you're right. We're not as productive anyway because we're holding stuff in and... So I I love that you saw that whether it was the dad answering the phone or the siblings living home or coming home, um, just the integration of family and the allowance to, you know, be your whole self, which your roots are your family. So that's where you, you know, begin and end your family. So, um, yeah, so this this family dynamic really affected you. I mean, tell me more then. So what, what does that mean to you when you have this kind of reality check on, whoa, like this is the way people should live? Yeah, I mean, the family was probably the biggest component. There was one of several pretty drastic differences that I perceived across the course of the semester. 
but really what they all had in common this was this underlying simplicity and integration of life that I think was the most important component of really just living our true selves and living with this authenticity and not suppressing one component of our lives in certain junctures, being able to bring yourself to the table and the family aspects was undoubtedly just the hugest part of that for me. Which totally makes me think of, because you told me that, and I remember when you really told it to me, I don't know if you remember the airport, but (laughs) it brings up a laugh because you and I were heading off to Bolivia from Chile. So we were at the airport and there and, and people were in lines and lots of teens and but you know there was like screaming and yelling and crying and people were waving and people were hitting you know doing that thing where you hit your heart and you know like like god love you you know from my heart to yours and all these weird signs and parents were climbing on each other and people were building pyramids like a like a cheerleading pyramid like so they could be the highest in the air to say goodbye or wave one more time or take one last snapshot. And you and I would look at each other and think, we know who their son is because we were following it all. The sun's on the plane. <laughs> They've got right. a cheerleading pyramid built into the sky and there is no sun to see it. Like, But, the, but they didn't stop. And I, I don't know if you remember, I had a laugh attack so hard when you were explaining to me like, oh, this is just the families. And I started to stare at it all and I, I laughed so hard I fell, almost fell over and I was crying and people thought I got hurt. And, That's right. Uh, I remember that remember? so vividly. And, you know, being able to see you experience it for the first time was <laughs> really funny and amazing to me because I'd actually had a similar experience myself, you know, like a week and a half before that point, I was traveling by myself to Peru and really similar experience. Like these kids were probably younger than what we saw, but they were still, I mean, they weren't little kids. They were probably 14 to 17 year olds going on this summer break trip. And it honestly seemed like it was the first time they left their parents. Like (laughs) they were going crazy as a circus in the sense that these kids were all over the place trying to find their parents and say goodbye. One girl like threw her iPhone over four rows. I remember just (laughs) chucked her iPhone to her mom to like take a picture of her and her friend in the (laughs) airport line. And yeah. it was crazy, but it really just drives home this unity of family and how crazily tight they are. You know, they just didn't want to say goodbye. And I started considering that, and it was funny, but at the same time, I really didn't perceive at my university an influence of parents or their families bogging them down from choosing the life plan they wanted. And that was what was interesting to me was... I was at this top-tier university, you know, these kids were economics majors, so very comparable to a UC Berkeley situation. I was at the second best college in Chile, but these kids felt so much more freedom to choose the life they wanted after school. Uh, A lot of them were going into the financial industry, so they were pursuing the normal kind of route after econ, but a lot of them weren't. And I talked to a lot of kids who were going to work on a farm, doing agriculture work, they were going to work with a family business. And a couple of them I met were going to teach Spanish in another country to less developed countries. And it was amazing to me. And so I perceived this, and I was just in admiration, really, of the freedom that they felt. And I knew that I didn't really have that. I was pretty bogged down myself. And so I never thought that observations of this different reality could change my life plan. And even, you know, leading up to the end of my semester abroad, I applied to over 30 internships to these top banking firms, and this is in November of my semester abroad, so at the very end, but dreadfully. I mean, I would read these job descriptions, really not know 
what they were talking about per se, or <laughs> certainly didn't have an inner drive to go pursue that. And I was doing it for purely external factors of what I thought was expected of me. And then I went traveling over winter break. So this is right when the semester ends. And I got the opportunity to backpack through southern Chile. I went up to Peru, did Machu Picchu for a week, spent 13 days in Brazil with my sister, which was amazing. And then, Mom, I met up with you for another, like, three weeks that we were together. Yeah. And so, like, six or seven weeks in total of traveling, and my experiences just started to weigh on me immensely. I, by the time I met up with you, Mom, I was pretty high off these three weeks of incredible traveling, but I was more pensive than I'd ever been. It was really heavy for me. And as we got closer to the new year, New Year's Eve and Day became this climax for me of this semester-long kind of blend of these new realities that I had seen in Chile, but also working with my old ideals that I had been brought up with and what I expected for myself after college. And then on January 2nd, I remember the date of this year, it all came together for me. And that was the moment I knew I wanted to be a writer. I remember that day well. I love that you remember the day. It'll always be in your head, but I remember. Um, I want to put a little context, too, because I, I witnessed what that was. But on New Year's Eve, you know, I mean, you and I have been having fun since the 23rd when we linked up, and we always have fun, and, and it was a good trip. But you were pensive, that's true. And then on New Year's Eve, something happened, and you were on your Facebook, and, and you were really distant. I couldn't totally access you, and I was really curious, what's, what's wrong? I can't, I can't get to him, you know, sort of mentally. And then I saw tears in your eyes, and, you know, because at first I thought, put away Facebook, <laughs> we're at a party, you know, but then I realized, like, oh, something's happening to him. Um, and then you told me some news about what you were looking at at Facebook and, and some news I hadn't heard. And, well, well, we've only got a couple minutes before break. Can you share that with us? Yeah, I would love to share it. Um, about a month before New Year's Eve, it was in late November, my good friend Matt from high school was in an accident, and he passed away. And this was at the end of his semester abroad in Spain, doing the same thing I was doing. And... I had already been building up this mentality over the semester of seeing these different forms of life and kind of seeing the truth in the way that these kids were living that I was meeting. So there were a multitude of reasons for trying to kind of change my life and transform it for 2014. But Matt's death for me was enormous. This was a particular example of a kid that everyone knew to be one of the most genuine, really authentic kids in the way he lived his life. He was an adventurer. And it made me think even more, you know, about this impermanence of life, just how transient all of this is and how I had a duty to myself and everyone else to start living truthfully. And this started the necessity really in my head to start living fully and happily every single day going forward. Which... It, continuing the context with little time that we have, I would say, because I really want to hear what moving forward means, but after the 31st, you and I were on a beach on January 1st, the day after. We must have spent about eight hours just talking and talking and talking about life and life's meaning and the depth, and you were crying, and we were talking about what, what if Matt had had more time, or what would Matt have done with his time, or did he do what he wanted? There were so many revelations and questions for you, and... 
a lot of torment. So while, you know, while you were moving towards something, and I know we say January 2nd is the epiphany, January 1st, I'm not sure I've ever seen you more tormented. That's right. It was, yeah. it was the biggest day for me before this revelation happened. It was a very, very pensive and heavy day. Yeah. So it's, it's a struggle, and I'm very interested to hear what happens, because how do you get out of this struggle? How do you have an epiphany, and what happens next? So we are going to take a break, and this is Lindsay Levinson at Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. I am your host, and our guest is Trace Levinson, and he is here talking about an epiphany, a transformation, and some really deep meaning of life issues. So please stay tuned because there is much more revealed coming up. Just hang on and stay tuned. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris, real talk on business and parenthood, hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story, coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. To connect with Lindsay or her guest, please call in to the show at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to lindsay244 at sbcglobal.net. That's L-I-N-Z-I-244 at sbcglobal.net. Now, back to Illuminating Now. Hi, this is Lindsay Levinson. We are back. I am your host at Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. We're on the Variety Channel at voiceamerica.com. And remember to follow us on Facebook, which is just Illuminating Now. 
This particular subject and story of Trace and what he is choosing to do and going to reveal more to you, um, it's got generation on Facebook on its own thread that has been just astounding. So take a a look at that and uh, join in, please. So, Trace, we leave off January 1st. Do you remember that day at the beach? And it's, it's highly tormenting. And then, and, you know, A, do you remember that? And B, and then January 2nd rolls around. Is that your only epiphany? Is that one of many? Yeah, this was, January 2nd was definitely the biggest. I mean, if I can hands down put one day where I kind of opened my eyes and figured out what I wanted to do with the next step and then next years that come, that was the day. But there were a couple other big ones, I guess, that I would like to mention, the first of which was the Thailand trip that we've mentioned. This was the first recognition for myself of this denial that I'd been engaged in, in following computer science, you know, going about a course into the future without any real internal motive for doing so. And so that was the first step I take to, you know, switch to economics and follow a more authentic, truthful path with myself. And the second one, which was huge, was my day at Machu Picchu. (laughs) And this day was unbelievable for me. It was a 10-hour day, first of all. So we got up there. They told us we were going to have a sunrise, so we got our asses up at 4 in the morning to get up there by (laughs) 6. But it was cloudy, but... It worked out great because I had a full 10 hours there until 4 p.m. And I have this vivid image in my head of me and my friends on this mountain in the afternoon. And if any of our listeners have been to Machu Picchu, it's just a pretty magical place. I mean, it would drive inspiration in anyone. And given the fact that I had been so pondering of the last semester, the five months, it really brought a lot of stuff up for me. And I remember just sitting on this mountain with my friend and me and these awesome, majestic white llamas that they had brought up there for tourism to make people happy. (laughs) And it worked. They were awesome. Uh And we were just silent. The sun was coming down. And that whole day was just weightless, thoughtless happiness for me. And that was a day that I felt something, honestly, I don't know how long it had been since I'd felt. There was this levity of spirit, really, of just existing. And I didn't have to think about the future. I wasn't thinking about what was going to come for the next years or all my to-dos. I was just there. And this was a feeling of just true, unforced bliss that I hadn't experienced in so long. So that was probably the biggest one leading up to the next couple weeks And then January 2nd, obviously, when the huge release happened for me and I figured out the next step. I love the way that you describe Machu Picchu, or more importantly, I love the way you describe your reaction. I will say again and again, I have no issue with medications, and if anybody needs them or they're working, by all means, that's fantastic. But but I feel like we do take anxiety meds and antidepressants and sleeping and, you know, things that help us get to a weightless place, help us get to a place where bliss is possible. And I'm not sure we ever reach what you're talking about, but when you say levity of spirit and weightlessness and just this unbiased way to feel happiness with no other ulterior motives, but just to feel it to the bottom of your core, 
it's like you're on an adrenaline rush or an endorphin rush. It's like the greatest drug you got access to at Machu Picchu and realized this is what it can feel like. But, you know, you had to leave. But does that resonate? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's exactly how it felt. It was, it felt like a drug. I mean, it was these endorphins that were coming out of nowhere. Really, I wasn't doing anything but just allowing myself to be for the first time. And the place really brings it out in you as well. But it was huge. And actually, over the last week or so, I've been processing all this and thinking about the whole uh, long-term process. And I discovered kind of an analogous image for this process in my mind. Do you care if I share it with our listeners? I would love to hear it myself. (laughs) Um, So this image I have in my head of going through probably a decade, let's say, since I can remember having a perception of success and what I wanted, is being asleep in a coffin. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. Oh. (laughs) That's kind Uh, of eerie. It's eerie, yeah. Um, But if you think about a coffin, you know, for me it was the most confined you can be. It's this box that you're completely trapped, you know. And I was asleep, So I didn't even really know that I was trapped. And I can kind of think about this in the sense that I was going tunnel vision forward for all of those years, just one foot in front of the other. I had my life plan and I wasn't really consciously miserable, but it wasn't great. And so that was kind of being asleep. I was just going through the motions. And then that really the day in Machu Picchu was the day when I woke up inside that coffin. Which is interesting because, I mean, I want to hear what happens next, but I'm picturing waking up inside a coffin. So the good news is you're in awakening, but you're in a coffin. So is that where, you know, isn't that where the struggle gets worse? I mean, isn't that tormenting? That is exactly it. Like, (laughs) I woke up and I realized I was trapped, really, was what it came down to. And this was not only bad, but it was way worse than being asleep, right? If you think about just at least I was kind of in this mediocre ignorance of where I had been going with my life going forward. And now I knew this feeling. I had grasped this just unforced kind of lift in my whole body of what that was to have happiness. And I wanted to get it back. So I started over the next couple of weeks, just feeling super trapped in myself about how to achieve that again. And on January 2nd, I mean, this is a process that, is going to go on for years now, right? So this is the beginning of a long struggle and a process, but that really for me was finding the key and opening that coffin when I realized on January 2nd that I wanted to start writing. And I, over the next couple of years, I'm going to be traveling and I want to keep documenting this, you know, and getting back to everyone about what it's like to discover this world out of the coffin because I don't really know what it is yet. And but for the first time right now, I feel like I'm finally living with complete authenticity and just transparency within myself. Well, I mean, talking about January 2nd again, because now that really puts context in it for me, because, again, I saw you on the 31st, you know, teary-eyed on the Facebook, really with looking at tributes to Matt and really remembering him. On the 1st, you and I were trying to really make sense of life for hours, and your tears were running down your cheeks and just a tormenting. When you woke up on the 2nd, you were like someone I'd never seen. I, you, you were like a bouncing jelly bean. I mean, I, I'm trying to use visuals. You're like the Pillsbury Doughboy. You know, you were just like, I'm up. I've got it. It's good. I know. I'm going to be a writer. 
And I was just like, what? You know, and I just remember you were just the energy that came out of you for the rest of that trip. And it's not that it's over and there's no more struggles, but something changed. And I want to just note that, you know, your analogy to the coffin, I've never heard that in my, you know, life. I've never heard people reference it like that. And so it's chilling, but it's also very compelling and very alluring to think about that we have spent a lot of time talking about boxes and that America, we're in boxes. We know what grades, we know what job, we know what house, we try to get married. Like, right. so, we, so a coffin is just another box. Um, being, sleeping makes sense. You can't, you can't be with the anxiety of trying to get out all the time. So sleeping is going through the motions. Awakening is knowing you must get out. And, um, and I think that it, it is really poignant for you to come to January 2nd and say, I got the lid off. I got the lid off. I can get right. out of this coffin. So I love that analogy. Yeah. No, it was, it was cool for me to kind of create this image because I was thinking about trying to put it in some terms that were more comprehensible, even for myself and certainly for others. But I just, there's no way to overstate the importance of this semester. This entire semester led up to that moment. And my expectation, it's just crazy to think that I went with one expectation of what that semester would be, what that time in another country was going to be for me, a vacation, and how it entirely transformed by the end. And my whole goals for the future have changed. And becoming a writer now, not only is this the passion that I've been really suppressing forever, like I used to love writing as a kid, and I wrote a lot of beginnings to novels I never finished and a couple you short stories. You wrote a stories. poem. Do you remember your poem? <laughs> I wrote a poem. The big, my big toe. <laughs> my big toe. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Kind of, I love writing, but also I've kind of felt this as a social obligation now to provide an alternative. I think so many of us go years and really the better part of our lives in a lot of cases without knowing where to start on finding ourselves. It's just such an overwhelming process. And... Mm-hmm. Specifically, I remember talking to you, Mom, on January 1st on that day on the beach, and I told you, I wish I could skip the next 30 years, you know, this rat race of going through the corporate structure, but I knew I had to do it. I didn't know why. I just thought I had to, and I wish I could skip that phase and then just start doing what I love now. (laughs) I remember that. I remember. I'll never forget that because you were so adamant in it was just what you had to do, the way you presented it. I just wish, I wish I could push fast forward. I wish I could skip 30 years. I just want to be done with that, you know? And I remember saying, oh my gosh, you're 20. Like, you can just do whatever you want right now. Why would you wait 30 years when you could wait 30 minutes? Like, just start the life you want now. And who cares if anyone else does it that way? You can, and you can be happy. And you really listened to that. I felt like that really had an impact on you as well. Oh, it's huge. That was one of the turning points Like when you said things like that that just made it so simple, you know, to think about just finding happiness now. And it, was, it led to more revelations leading up to January 2nd that next day, but it was a huge part of this whole process. And thinking back on where this all came from, you know, being able to discover this about myself was travel. I could never have done what I did if I hadn't gone outside my comfort zone physically to another place and seen what other realities exist because I hadn't even been able to conceive of that, that another way of thinking was functioning somewhere else in the world. And 
it's important for us to do that not only for what we know it will do for us, you know, to get that vacation away from work or school or to find momentary happiness somewhere, but to go because of what we don't know it'll do for us and to have faith that this self-discovery, because I promise going somewhere else will do that. There's no possible way that it won't have some impact. And this honestly applies to all ages. I mean, for college students listening, study abroad. There's no better way I can say it. This is a rare, phenomenal opportunity to get to travel somewhere and stay there in the long term under a structure and an umbrella of security. So for them, have to study abroad. And for those in other phases of life, honestly, any of us that are unhappy with our circumstances, for the baby boomer generation, for those finishing a divorce, for those between jobs, anyone who knows, you know, you have some other goal in mind or even just know that you're dissatisfied with the way your life's going, the path you took, visit and see what's out there because it will make a difference no matter what, it will. And I use Thailand, you know, as a great example because one, we went there and fell in love with it. And two, you can have a phenomenal standard of living there for less than $1,000 a month. I mean, this is really attainable for people with college educations, especially they want Americans to come there and teach English and do other things. So Thailand is a great example of somewhere to go and consider for a longer term. And overall, really, just find this happiness. Think about in your own self every day and what you want, what your goals are going forward, and if they match your inner self and what you want for yourself. And don't let this struggle overtake you because it's so hard. You know, once we're trapped and we realize there's something better, that it's so difficult and it's easy to go back to sleep in that coffin. But once you escape, I mean, for me, even this first step that I've taken now into the next years, no way in hell I'm going back into the coffin <laughs> because oh it would be silly for me. I know that there's this feeling that I've had now over the last months that's just so different in myself and I would never go back. So, you know, spending time outside of our comfort zone is essential to let our minds breathe and see something else. I think it's almost impossible to conceive of a different reality and definitely try to form one for ourselves when we're surrounded by the same external environment and the same context every day. We're bombarded by these factors, the people that depend on us. We have jobs, we have obligations. And so find that window, make it happen, take steps toward it all the time to be able to travel because this is how you create a different reality for yourself. It's huge. And, and over the next years... I was going to say, gonna you're be, going on a mission. I want to hear about the next years, because what is <laughs> you're going on a mission connected to the social obligation you mentioned. So That's right. Is, yeah. yeah. I Tell me. really want to discover what this life is outside the coffin, I, and I want to <laughs> document it and report back real time on how to navigate this unknown, how to get outside the confinements that we place for ourselves every day, because it's so difficult and I understand, you know, this traveling thing, especially in the long term, is difficult. It's a big thing to conceive of. And so until that point where this drastic kind of restructuring of our lives is possible, we have to take the small steps every day. And there are a few that I have in mind, the first of which is reading. I started to do this much more. I was honestly not great at it growing up. I didn't read enough. And there are so many informative books, especially on these topics. I mean, finding your inner passion, finding happiness, and holding on to them is, are huge. And write me 
my mom, I think, gave the email at the beginning of the show. It's t.levinson at yahoo.com. I would be happy to provide books and things that I've read and resources to help you guys as well because I want you to use me as a resource and a contact. And if you read a book, you know, and you finish it and you want another idea, write me again. The second one that I would describe is conscious thought. I think What's that? Checking in, checking in with ourselves all the time, multiple times a day, surrounding the truthfulness of our character and measuring our actions and seeing, you know, and this applies less to a small-scale kind of fight you had with your boss that you were upset for a day, but big-picture stuff, thinking about, I'm not happy with where my life's going. I have a different path and in mind or a goal and those glimpses of inspiration that we get because I know they kind of come and go all the time for us where we think, oh, wow, I'd love to do that or I have an amazing idea, but they get lost in the hustle and bustle of everyday life. Hold on to those and don't dare let them go, those creative sparks of inspiration because they're everything. Like that is that feeling inside you that you get is what we need to keep us going. That's the whole point, right? So true. And so for me, you know, it's about knowing that only you at the end of the day know your passions, your capabilities, your drive to go into the field for the dream of your choice. If you have an idea that's great, that's one in a million, you have to hold on to it. And you know that you have to trust yourself. And building kind of uh, a life and a future around these external factors, the rankings of financial security for a lot of careers I mean, it's tempting. It's so compelling. And myself, I mean, I'm a broke college student going into this abyss trying to be a writer, but it's pretty much a sure formula for a life of mediocrity at best doing that. You know, if you're not in touch with what you truly want and your goals for yourself, you're going to have dissatisfaction on some level. And this applies to a career, but it also trickles down into other areas of your life. And so you need to keep this in mind all the time. And the last thing is your support system. I think embracing those that are supportive of your goals, those that are rooting for you, and if they don't know what you're capable of, they at least trust that you know what you're capable of. Those are the people that you have to keep in your life because it's so hard to go this route alone. It's just very difficult. You need that support. And acknowledge at the same time that for every person that believes that you can do this crazy thing or switch careers, there are going to be a million people that don't necessarily agree with it, that don't think that it's plausible. And the main factor to keep in mind is to keep moving forward anyway. Trust yourself and use these as sources, further sources of inspiration to you know, prove them wrong and show that you can do anything. And so write me. You know, This is a lot to take in, and I would love to be a resource. My email once more, t.levinson at yahoo.com. Write me anytime, whether it's for book ideas or just going through the struggle, anytime. And for the book I'm writing, I don't currently have a name, so I'm considering several names currently or even a couple different ways of creating the name. But as soon as I have that information, it'll be released to give you guys a better way to connect. But in the meantime, keep writing. And thank you, Mom, so much for having me on. It's been, it's been a pleasure. 
This has been inspiring. Um, I mean, I know so much of your story. I've gone through so many pieces as we've shared, but I absolutely learned a lot of things. And um, and it's just super meaningful. Everything kind of is, is moving, you know, when you think about life. Um, Lindsay's life secret. I'd say one is sort of the obvious of what you've heard here. Pursue happiness. You will end up somewhere better than wherever you're headed if you're walking from box to box. Whether it's a coffin or it's just a predetermined outline of your life, high school, college, this job, that career, that house, that money, that relationship, get out of the boxes and go find what you don't know. Traveling, you don't know things, good. You're uncomfortable, good. Go figure that out and come back with something you know more of so you can make better choices about your options. And I would also say as a Lindsay Life Secret, leaders, leaders like Trace, you know, it's, it's not that easy. That's the struggle. They have been shunned. They have been scorned. They have been looked at funny, you know, Ben Franklin, the Wright brothers. I mean, honestly, a piece of something's going to fly in the air. Are you serious? But boy, did people stop, you know, making fun of them when it flew. So I would just say Trace has also offered to be a resource and support. So you're no longer alone. I don't know how much resource or support you have. He told you to keep supportive people around you and that it's really key. And I'm a resource as well. But on this subject, t.levinson at yahoo.com is going to become very valuable to you because you can write, Trace, about any of your questions day in or day out on the struggle or things that you'd like to do next. I really want to know also your interest on this subject matter. If you'd like to hear more, be it the college students, the baby boomers, or anyone all over the map, if this was of value and if it feels like it's inspiring enough to want more information, we can certainly do more show information while waiting for the book that he will be releasing. So, you know, be sure to contact either us on our emails or feel free to start a Facebook thread or continue the one that's all about Trace. Um, I'd like to talk about next week. Our guest is Michael Levin. Michael's a high-level entrepreneur uh, in the business for so many years, super respected, had his own companies many times over. But he's going to talk about our inability to disengage with technology. You know, what are the effects on our health, our life, the future? Because we all are stuck on technology. There's no turning back but is there a change? Is there a better way, as I often ask? So it's going to be important to tune in and listen. And I think he's going to share some deep insights as to what he's been through from the highs and lows of what the growth is as an entrepreneur, what the technology is associated with that, and what his personal story is with his health and wellness and you know what's become of that. But I can't encourage you enough to please, once again, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, qualityforlifecoaching.com, lindsay244 at sbcglobal.net, and today, t.levinson at yahoo.com. And from now on, you can certainly be hitting up Trace. So that's a fantastic resource that just got introduced to you today. I do hope a life changed today. I hope multiple lives open doors to options that they never saw possible. This is Lindsay Levinson. We're on Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. I am your host, and our guest today has been my son, Trace Levinson, up-and-coming author, Trace Levinson, and you know what? A guide to your best potential toward happiness and freedom to choose whatever life you want because 
He's offering to go do the navigation. He's offering to go do the research. He's offering to be a wizard of wisdom and go get that information that maybe you aren't able to do and roll it back to you through a radio show and certainly through his book when it's released or multiple books. So let him do the work and listen closely and watch for his name. Thank you so much for joining us today. Again, Illuminating Now. And Trace, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. We hope to see you or we hope to listen to you. We hope to connect with you via all the vehicles I've mentioned March 26th next week. Thank you so much for listening today. We really appreciate it. for joining us for Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Please join Lindsay Levinson again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.